Thinking through this idea of resetting our lives. You know, as a kid, I can remember my dad did a lot of traveling, went on a lot of missions trips, um, and he was gone a lot traveling, speaking around the country, speaking around the world. And every time he would leave, whenever he would return home, he always brought us something from his trip. And it was always as a kid, okay, I want dad to come home, but as a kid, you're thinking, what is he going to bring me? What is he going to bring me this time when he comes home from his trip? And so I remember one time when he went down to South America, he did a trip down to Uruguay, Paraguay, Argentina, visiting missionaries. He kind of viewed it as his goal to go down there and be an encouragement to the missionaries that are there. Uh, he'd spend a couple of days with each of them. And whenever he came home, he brought me this, like, the coolest, like, bow and arrow set made, like, from, you know, the indigenous people there in whatever country he was in. I thought, man, this is the coolest thing. Sometimes it was just something as simple as basketball cards, because as a kid, I collected a ton of basketball cards. That was an easy thing for him to pick up, was just to pick up a, a packet of basketball cards and bring them. But the thing I was always looking forward to, even more than the gift, was my dad's return. I wanted him to return. I missed him while he was gone. You know, we're heading down this path of resetting our hearts, resetting our minds in this series. And we're looking at a, a bigger picture here, a picture of the character of God in difficult situations. We're going to look at our responses to difficult situations as well. Remember, our response so many times determines our outcome. We can try to rush back to normal, or we can take advantage of this reset and begin a new path. You know, I've, we've been asking the question last week, what is the point of a do-over if we just do the same thing over again? I think God has given us, over the last 18 months, many of us have sat back through quarantine, through the different changes in life, and we've evaluated life and thought, what is life? What am I doing in my life. So let's take advantage of this divine reset and let's do something different because we've all tried normal. And on many levels, normal doesn't work for us. So we're thinking through this series, the first part of the book of Ezra. And we started this last week. I know Ezra is not typically a book that you would hear a sermon series on. And to be honest with you, this is probably the first time I've spoken as your pastor out of the book of Ezra. And just to recap a little bit, if you weren't here last week, Ezra is a historical book of the Jewish scriptures that tells a story of a reset. Because the nation of Israel, they had been carried off into captivity by the Babylonian Empire. They were there for 70 years. And last week we looked at how God, how the prophet Isaiah foretold of this happening, and he foretold of their coming home back to Israel 70 years at the end of captivity. And so the nation of Israel had this great reset that had to happen through the entire country, leaving the Persian Empire. The, ba the Persians conquered the Babylonian Empire, so the people of Israel were then migrated to the Persian Empire. And then King Cyrus the Great allowed them to come back. 
to Israel. A reset, a reset in the entire nation, a reset of rebuilding a nation, rebuilding their temple. So as we think through this series, we're asking God to stir our hearts. Stir our hearts as we think through resetting our lives. We're asking God for the confidence to obey him when he stirs our hearts. Because we as a people, we need our hearts to be stirred for the things of God. And today we're going to explore the last part of Ezra 1, and we're going to look at Ezra 2 to see who all returned. If you remember, King Cyrus was stirred by God to rebuild the temple. It was God who went in and stirred the heart of a pagan king to send the people of God out of Persia into their land of Israel to rebuild the temple. God knew, he knew what God asked him to do and he understood his purpose and his mission. He understood that it would take obedience, people, and money. Last week we looked at a second chance occurs when God stirs leaders. A second chance occurs when we do something. A second chance occurs when God stirs people. And we want God to stir our hearts. So let's look at the ones who were stirred to return to rebuild. Just as God expected people to come to the temple during that time as worship, God expects us to come to church together to gather. Let's define the church. The church is not the building. We obviously know we don't have a permanent facility. We know that this facility here is not a church building. The church is not the property. The church is not religious activity. The church is not just songs and preaching and teaching. The church is a gathering of God's people. We all collectively, we are the church. The church is the called out assembly of God, God's people. The church is for the worship of God Almighty. The church is the chosen people of God on mission. The church is the banner bearer for the name of Jesus. The church is the bride of Christ. The church is wherever there are believers gathered together. I was reading reports, Christian news organizations asking for prayer this morning for believers in Afghanistan. Over the last 20 years, missions organizations have gone into Afghanistan and they have started churches. There are believers in Afghanistan. And they said some of the house churches there in Afghanistan have already received letters from the Taliban saying, we know who you are and what you do and we're coming after you. The church is wherever we are gathered. As you pray, think about believers and other countries that do not have the freedom that we have today. Think about what they may be facing. The church was established by the blood of Jesus. The church is being perfected and cleansed by Christ. The church will not fail. The church will not die. The church is powerful when it is unified. The church is powerful when it is clarified. The church is powerful when it's living for Jesus. The church is powerful when it is living for others. The church is a reconciler, a forgiver, a healer, and a restorer. The church is the ultimate protector of the marginalized. The church is the defender of life 
from the womb to the tomb. The church is the stabilizer in society. The church on mission is unstoppable. The church on mission is victorious. Jesus said the gates of hell will not stop the church. When we reduce church to just a gathering on Sunday morning in this building and buildings across this community, we strip the church of the power that it's having in the community the other six days of the week. We make church all about Sundays. We miss the simple conversations that are happening throughout the week. We overlook the work that God is doing in the hearts and minds of people every single day. So why do we gather? Why do we gather and why should we return? Because we all have something to celebrate, don't we? We have more than any other people on the face of this earth. We have something to celebrate because we have all been given new life in Christ. We can lift our voices together as one worshiping God the Father. Why? Because we have been forgiven. We've been forgiven of our sins because we need to be equipped for the most important conversations in our life is another reason why. Because we all need to be prodded and motivated to love and do good works to those around us. We return week after week because that is what Jesus called us to do. To obey the Father, to worship the Father, and to be unified in the Father. So I asked the question last week, what is God stirring in your heart? What is God stirring in your heart in this season of reset that we are experiencing? What is God calling you to do? Maybe today you have a second chance to chase after God's stirring call. What we see in scripture is that the second chance is all in the hands of God. A second chance occurs when God stirs people to return. Let's read Ezra 1 verse 5. Then rose up the heads of the fathers, houses of Judah and Benjamin, and the priests and the Levites, everyone whose spirit God had stirred to go up and rebuild the house of the Lord that was in Jerusalem. And all who were about them aided with vessels of silver, with gold, with goods, with beasts, and with costly wares besides all that were freely offered. You see, it was God who did the stirring. It's God that stirs our heart. A second chance happens when we obey the stirring of God in our heart. You know, it was estimated between 20,000 and 60,000 people. The elites, the smartest people of Jewish society were the ones taken into captivity into Babylon. All the leaders, the rulers, the, the, the elders, all of the young, bright people. That's why you see the, the Daniel you know, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the book of Daniel. All of these bright, young people were taken to Babylon. After 70 years of exile, it's amazing. Ezra chapter 2 tells us to the T, 42,360 people returned. It's crazy that he gets that specific. You know, the rest of chapter 1 tells us that King Cyrus himself gathered the articles of the temple that had been taken when Israel was conquered. It says in verse 7, Cyrus the king 
also brought out the vessels of the house of the Lord that Nebuchadnezzar had carried away from Jerusalem and placed them in the house of his gods. If you keep reading there, it'll tell you in uh, verses 8 and 9 that he gave all of those to the elders of Israel. If you remember, the temple was adorned with gold. There was gold all throughout the temple. Whenever Nebuchadnezzar came through and conquered Jerusalem, he stripped all of that and took it away to Babylon. It sat there in Babylon. Then when the Persian Empire overtook Babylon, they took that gold with them back to their capital. It's amazing to think that they had held this this entire time. And Cyrus says, I'm giving this back to you to go and rebuild the temple. You see, the return involves gifts. We return to serve. We must be a church that serves each other and serves our community. The the return involves finances. We return to be generous. And the return involves others. It's taking notice of the lives of others and being there to support and to uplift. Ezra chapter 2 is full of the names of the people who returned. I love this. I love how scripture gets so descriptive. It just goes back to the validity of we know that God's word is true. Here's a list of the Jewish exiles of the provinces who returned from their captivity. King Nebuchadnezzar had deported them to Babylon, but now they returned to Jerusalem and the other towns in Judah where they had originally lived. Their leaders were Zerubbabel, Jeshua, Nehemiah, Sariah, Reliah, Mordecai, Bilshan, Mispar, Bigviah, Rehum, and Ben. That last one kind of trips me up, but you got it. This is the number of the men of Israel who returned from exile. I practiced that when I promised several times this past week, and I still, like a brain block there, that last name. These are the heads of the houses that returned to Israel. You know, I like to think about this is if you read on further down in verses Ezra, we won't take the time there, Ezra's chapter three, or uh, verses three, four, five, and six, it actually gets down to telling you specifically the number of individuals underneath each of those houses. It's amazing how we have this piece of history recorded for us, that it's that descriptive for us. And I like to think about this. If this was you, would your name be on this list? It's not an indictment, just a question to consider. Because the truth is, some didn't come back. Some stayed in Persia. Some looked for a new normal elsewhere. Almost every, I'm going to say everyone, but almost every church in America is dealing with a decline in attendance after this reset. I was talking to my dad last night on the phone, and my dad has many pastor friends that he enjoys keeping up with, and he said almost to a T, every pastor I'm speaking with is just discouraged because their attendance is half of what it used to be. People are not coming back to church. People have found a new normal elsewhere. They've decided that church isn't a part of their life. They recited that I'm not going to return. I'm going to do something different. What we see here with the people is not only did they return, but when we get to the end of Ezra chapter 2, it says, when they arrived at the temple of the Lord, so they made this huge journey from Persia back to Jerusalem. 
They returned to the, the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem. Some of the family leaders made voluntary offerings toward the rebuilding of God's temple on its original site. Each leader gave as much as he could. The total of their gifts came to 61,000 gold coins, 6,250 pounds of silver, and 100 robes for the priest. I love this. No one was coerced. No one was forced. There was no tax on the people to rebuild the temple. The stirring of the heart. When God stirs your heart, what happens is it induces extreme generosity. Generosity to the point of, man, you look at all of this, 61,000 gold coins. Here is the truth for today. Let us not return empty and disunified. Bethel Community Church, we need a unified gathering. Everything that is happening out there, everything that turn, when you turn on the news, is there to divide. In here, we are unified underneath the banner of Jesus Christ, underneath the kingdom of God. We are ambassadors for the kingdom of God. Let's not allow what happens out there to divide us in here. We are a unified people. Bethel Community Church needs a unified generosity. Bethel Community Church needs a unified understanding of the gospel. We need to return to a biblical understanding of what life looks like. So many of us don't even know enough to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, to tell others of how Jesus changed our lives. We have so much biblical illiteracy in our world. I, once again, I encourage you, get in the word of God. Read it. Do your devotions. It's an important and powerful thing that you can do. You've heard us harp on it time and time again. God has given us this wonderful thing called version that people throughout millennia would have killed to have that is easy in your hand. There's no excuse. At any moment in your day, on your phone, you can pick up God's word and read it. It's a matter of whether social media is more important to you than understanding God's word. We need people to be about the word of God. We need people who said, you know what? I want to become a better disciple. I'm willing to sit down and talk God's word with anybody who wants to sit down with me. Take the time out of their week. Become a greater disciple. We need to return to an unapologetic stance for Jesus. And here's the honest truth. More, most of us care more about what's happening with the donkeys and the elephants than we do about Jesus. That's the truth. Our politics should never overshadow our stand for Jesus. Never. People should never look at us and think about us as far as our political position as what they do who we represent, and that is Jesus. We need to return to a discipleship-based lifestyle. Jesus promised abundant life as well as a life of controversy. He said, you will be hated because of me. He told his disciples that. You will pick up your cross. The cross was synonymous with suffering. You will carry a cross because of me. One of the greatest strategies of Satan in the, for the modern church is a lack, honestly, of persecution. 
Satan is slowly putting the Western church to sleep. The Western church has become weak, deluded, and essentially inoculated in our resolve to live for Christ under any circumstance. We have become intoxicated with success, intoxicated with seeking blessings, intoxicated with peace, instead of living for Jesus. The truth is, trials will come. We know that will come because the Bible tells us. Let us be ready for oppression and struggles. Jesus is coming. His kingdom is coming. Be strong and courageous. Do not be discouraged. So many Christians today in the world are looking for churches that become consumers looking for what they can get from churches instead of servants looking for how they can serve. They become consumers looking for what they can get from churches instead of servants looking to serve and give to the body of Christ in their community. It's the bottom line. This church doesn't have what I want. I'm going to go somewhere else. Being a Christian is not a hobby. It's a lifestyle. Now is not the time to retreat. Now is the time for us to lean in harder than we ever have because Satan is fighting against the church of God harder than he ever has. And that means we have to lean in. The mission to love and lead one another to become followers of Jesus is more important now than ever. The importance of serving one another is more urgent now than what it has ever been. The message of Jesus is needed now more than it ever has been. The need for Bethel Community Church in this community is greater now than it has ever been. The truth is, this last 18 months of isolation and separation from people, it has taken its toll. People are more depressed. People are more distressed. People are more oppressed by sin. People are more addicted to substances, to porn, to depression than they have ever been in the history of our world. All the more reason why the church needs you and you need to be a part of the church serving your community. Your testimony how Jesus changed your life. Are you ready for a reset? Are you ready to reset your life? Let's not waste this moment. We have so few moments in our lives. We think about how short life is. Let's not waste this moment. Let's return with our hearts full, our hands ready, and our mouth opens to declare Jesus. Honestly, our community is waiting for our church. They may not know it. Sometimes they don't know what they need, but we know what they need. We know that they need Jesus. Jesus is still alive. Let's not forget that. Every time you turn on the news, it's doom and gloom, isn't it? The news never tells you that Jesus is alive, does it? It never tells you that Jesus is still in control, does it? No. The news never tells you that Jesus is calling, that Jesus is going to return, that our God is sovereign. It never gives you that message. Let's 
not forget that. Consider this. When and how does God want you to return? Who will you influence on your way back? No doubt of those 42,360 people, probably many of them were influenced by others to return. Others to return to Jerusalem. Will your friends, your family, your neighbors take notice of your return? And last of all, what will God ask of you in your return? As you are resetting your life, how is your life going to be different? Thank you.